On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I am your host, Mark. And this is such a cool episode of Side Projects. It's the art of improv. And I have to say, I felt a little bit guilty prepping for this one. Evan Paul from Cinema Cinema have both been on the podcast before, but never together. And we were all joined by the enigmatic Thor Harris. There's a lot of juice in this one. To say all three guests were well-versed in improvisational music is possibly the biggest understatement I've ever made. It's almost like saying McDonald's is well-versed at making fast food. But we begin with a brief history of Thor and how he started playing music and eventually improvisational music. I also get reacquainted with Ev, Paul, and Cinema Cinema. They have just released an album of music that is entirely improvisational, and they tell me the whole story behind this session. Yes, Session. The album, Mjolnir, was recorded in one day in three 30-minute sessions with Thor, Paul, and Ev. Thor arrived at BC Studios in Guanos, Brooklyn, arms swinging with no instruments. No music or lyrics were prepared, and this was the first time Ev and Paul had ever met Thor. So... Out came Ev's guitar, Paul's drums, including a tin whistle he keeps for just such an emergency, and a whole bunch of neglected instruments from the studio's closets. This was an exercise of being forced to stay in the moment. Nothing was prepared and time was limited. What came out of the sessions was magical. It was so magical that Thor and Cinema Cinema are working on plans to play live together. So pick up Mjolnir on Cinema Cinema's Bandcamp page Follow them at Cinema Cinema Band on Instagram. Follow Thor at Thor Harris for more info. Follow us at Performance Annex. Buying stuff at performanceannex.threadless.com or sending us coffee money at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety helps us out tremendously. Now throw everything aside and check out The Art of Improv with Cinema Cinema and Thor Harris on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Man, what a group. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I haven't been in the same room as these two guys since we made the record. Because oh. there was this pandemic. You may have heard about it. I, I think I must have missed that. I don't know. Oh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be a real loose, almost kind of improvisational show. The point of the show is, is about the album that you guys have just released. But... I've always wanted to kind of talk about improvisational music because it's something that fascinates me. Um, I've done like, like 90% of people who have podcasts, I've done some improv in other areas like comedy, you know, but I've never, I'm not a musician. And so improvisational music fascinates me. So I wanted to find out a little bit about how you guys got into improvisational music, what kind of improvisational music you do and how you guys all met and created the new album. I'm going to butcher this. I'm going to have, I'm like, like 30% Norwegian and I'm going to F this up every time I try to say it. Mjolnir. 
Yeah. Is that not too bad? Yeah. All right. Pretty good. I want to find out a little bit about what drew you guys into improvisational music in the first place. And so Ev and Paul, you guys have both been on the podcast with your previous two albums. We've discussed those and the insanity that is Cinema Cinema because it's just one of the wildest bands I've heard in ages. So I know a little bit about your background regarding how you got into music and and the improvisational nature of your music. But Thor, I, this is your first time on the podcast. So I want to learn a little bit more about what drew you to improvisation. How did you get into it? When did you first discover that it was something that, that was uh, interesting to you? I, I think I'm older than those guys. I was born in 1965. So when I came up, I was living on coastal Texas and I was listening to at that time, like a lot of funk and soul was on FM and AM radio, like Motown stacks, all that stuff was huge. That's so that's the stuff that I grew up on. But for some reason I wanted to play drums really badly um, when I was a kid. And, and when you, you know, once you get, through the basics of becoming a drummer, you sort of, you're like, okay, what's, what's next? Like, what's the next hardest thing that I, that I can do? I will become a jazz drummer. That is exceedingly <laughs> hard and, and, and just gets, you know, endlessly complex. Well, the, the fact of the matter is I grew up with soul music and, and then eventually rock and roll. I never became a jazz drummer. But I did like, I do like a lot of jazz. It just, it wasn't the music of my soul, you know? Okay. I, 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 I was just into what I was into. And then I got into prog rock, right? Because it was like the early 70s. Ah, yeah. And those drummers are insanely good, you know, like Bill Bruford and Alan you know, White. And... Yeah, Alan White and Giles from yeah. the first King Crimson record. And, um, those drummers are just so that that was a lot of fodder for my study, um, mm-hmm. the, the world of prog rock. So, and, but you know, a, a lot of those groups, uh, there wasn't that much improv, but I still was trying to become a jazz drummer. So I was still listening to a lot of improvised music. And what I gotta say about improvised music, well, I got a lot to say about it, but <laughs> one thing is that everything there's no so i've played in 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 rock bands where everything was pretty much worked out and we we knew what we were going to do from night to night and that was fun you know it's always fun to tour the country with your friends and set up and play a show but you're when you're doing it by rote night after night after night it becomes incredibly dull i guess Mm -hmm. um It makes sense. So, whereas if you're doing improv, you have to pay attention. You have to listen. Everything could go terribly wrong at any minute. There's just, everything is at risk all the time. (laughs) There's no, there's no safe resting place at any moment. And nobody knows where we're going. Right. Right. So it's, far more exciting and it does demand absolute concentration whereas you can play drums in a rock band and 
once you got the songs down, you can kind of just think about whatever you want to think about. <laughs> what do you do for dinner afterwards? Yeah, it's it, exactly. But I want to tell you about how I met these guys. There's a publicist who we all love very much. His name's Howard Wolfing. Love Howard. And yeah, I love that guy. He's worked with Swans, and I was in a band called Shearwater, and he uh, did publicity for one of at least one of our records. And he's done publicity for tons of people that I know. And me too. He, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he um, he introduced me to these guys, and I just really liked them. And we we chatted a lot on back when Twitter was good. We chatted a lot on that. I mean, it really was a fun place when it was new. Now it's you know it's like. Another thing I'd love to say is just that, man, billionaires ruin everything. Don't they? You guys live in New York, ruined by billionaires. Twitter, ruined by billionaires. The planet Earth, you know, it's getting hotter. You know, it's my fault. I've driven a car, but it's even more the fault of Exxon executives. It, who, and a lot of... I'll say this. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's ruined by politicians because they'll have these amazing summits, right? Where they're going to discuss global warming, you know, and they all fly their private jets to a little island somewhere to discuss the damage everyone else is doing to the planet. But my my private jet's okay. You know, I'll buy some carbon offset. It'll be, it'll be all right. Yeah. Fuck them. I hate them. Um, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. 
They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> anyway, sorry. So when, we, when we recorded that record, we were in the in Martin BC's studio and we've made a few angels of light records there and a few swans records there. And, uh, I lived there for a few weeks at a time. <laughs> wow. And Martin is a, a, just a dear man. So I've got a question before we jump into the, to the album. And this is again for, for Thor in the descriptions for the, a lot of the work you've done, you're described as an accomplished polyrhythmic percussionist. I'm not a musician. Can you explain what a polyrhythmic percussionist is? That's pretty. Um, uh, I think what they mean when when they say polyrhythmic, what I think they mean is like, like rock and roll is very simple music. It's very simple and very in general a very rigid form. The opposite of that is all of the music that came from West Africa, moved across the Atlantic Ocean in the form of slavery and became all Latin music. It's like okay. many rhythms that may at least sort of seem like they're in different time signatures being played over the top of each other. That's that's what po polyrhythm is. Okay. And, I, and, and I sort of got into, I mean, I got into it a little bit through prog rock, but then I had this teacher in college he was a drum teacher. I took piano in college also, but I had this great drum teacher named Barry Larkin at um, Stephen F. Austin State University in really boring town in East Texas. And he turned me on. He like gave me written charts of all these crazy Latin rhythms, told me to listen to Tito Puente. Oh, wow. Completely blew my mind. I, I was just, you know, because I was, grew up on rock and roll and soul and, and fairly, you know, 4-4 stuff okay. which i still love but there was this whole world of super complex rhythm that this blew my 19 year old mind when terry <laughs> larkin <laughs> gave me these sheets with like a you know a, a samba and seven eight on you know right all right so ev you and paul have been playing together for ages now your live shows are insane. I'm still waiting to see one because you guys haven't been able to get down to DC since the last time Ev was on first. And I don't think you've been to DC since around since that time. At least not that I know of. I may have missed a show, but is it easier to do improv once you guys have had so much time together? Is it or do you is it harder because you fall into the same I don't say traps, but but the same rhythms, the same habits? when you're playing together? Well, there's, um, it's good to be back, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's good to listen to Thor talk for a while. We haven't been in the same room since the day that we cut this, uh, this music together. Wow. And it's uh, a memory that I know resonates with Paul and I really beautiful and, uh, exhilarating. Um, and we'll get to more of it later because it really was a product of improv songwriting i guess you can call it paul and i have done a lot of different improv over the years and the last two records before this one which we were on your podcast talking about were improv entirely and they were in a little more of a free jazz um, uh, area mm -hmm. and 
say that only maybe make I say that because mind attaches to that because there was a lot of horn. I got to think of John Zorn and a lot of interesting, stabby, unpredictable, strange moving music. So, but, but the point, the point to get back to it is you can't really practice for improv. You could only get comfortable with the player or players that you're playing with. So, I mean, like Thor had mentioned doing material that's structured and rehearsed, you can get muscle memory, you know, and you can kind of get it down and you can wander a bit when the magic of improv is you're the nap, you're in the moment, you know, that's where you want to be. And it's hard to get there often, but improv definitely brings you to a place where you're listening while you're creating. Like Thor said, you don't know where you're going next. So for falling up, improv has been a part of the language that we speak musically since the beginning. We've been playing 15 years now and we're cousins. Something there has revealed a bit of a telepathic thing that we get to do. I think people who grow close together and do music, maybe if they aren't cousins, can form that. But all in all, something there. We can kind of react the same way. We become a two-headed monster of sorts. We've never been able to render the same song the same exact way twice, even when <laughs> we aren't improving, because there's a certain exhilaration, this excitement, this jubilee, this this panic, this happening that occurs when we play, where we suddenly become who we really are, and and we can't like focus enough to do the song just the way we might have done it. <laughs> like the way it, on the album is the way it was that day, and that's for the stuff that we work on, right. you know. So it's just. <laughs> It kind of speaks to how far we get into what we do when we do it together. So I'm wearing the improv smock, uh, you know, together, Paul and I, look that's very, very comfortable. Uh, I don't find that we necessarily go down the same path. So though I'd say there are one or two different footholds, uh, you know, on the on the rocky trail where we know how to kind of like pivot and get somewhere. We can make our way out. We can make our way out of the weeds together, you know, (laughs) but we let each other get lost in the weeds too. That's the thing I think that's really important with improv. As free as you are, you're also allowing those who are playing with you to be just as free. So there is a sense of what's going to happen next. And in a way, life, because it's so unpredictable, you know, like you really don't know what's going to happen next. And sometimes you go into this major thing in your life with all these expectations and thoughts, and then you're just in it and it's happening. And then it's over and you, you have some sweat on your brow, <laughs> it's it through. And sometimes an improv session is like that. Like, was it good or bad? Luckily, good or bad doesn't really exist. And we found that out in the moment, you know, like it just was what the fuck it was, you know, like, let's do it again. And it'll just be a tribute to what it was then because we don't know what it was, you know, so it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that we love to do it. And I'm lucky that Paul and I have that connection. I'll, uh, I'll let Paul maybe comment on it a little. Lord knows I could go on tangential <laughs> that'll make this the five hour edition right. of a time tonight. The extended I'll- version. So I, Paul, I do have a, a question f- for you about working with Evan. You, so you guys have been playing together 15 years. There's about what, I, I think there's like a 10 year age difference between you guys. That's right, when yes. you first started playing together, were you 
doing a lot of improv in the beginning or was that something that Ev kind of brought to you or, or were you comfortable and familiar with it already? I don't think that before we started playing together that either of us were really doing any type of improv playing uh, at all. Um, I uh, spent time in uh, high school in a jazz band, like in a jazz ensemble, like that was put on through the school, but we were reading kind of like charts and stuff. So like I was very rigidly, you know, following a song. You know, so I wasn't really, even though I was doing jazz, I wasn't really experimenting or doing anything crazy like that. So yeah, I mean, I think just from like the first, I just know that from my perspective, when I first got in a room, it was like, okay, I'm like playing with Ev now and this is really happening. I was so excited, you know, and from, you know, just put yourself in my like 18 year old shoes at that time, and, you know. <laughs> And to my, to me, you know, I always had uh, looked up to Ev from afar. I always thought that he was a very talented songwriter specifically um, and musician. And I just was so pumped to just be in the room with him and be like, okay, like, I think I'm like trying out for the band now. <laughs> this is happening. I love it. Like, well, like so I was very, uh, you know, I think that my juice was boiling at that time and I just, my cup runneth over, you know, I just, I just let it all out and he, he received my juices and he's like, oh, well, you think you got juices? I got a whole refrigerator stock full of it. So like he basically, you know, not that we were pushing each other, not in a negative way. Right. Ever. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe if we were brothers, maybe that would be the case. But yes. cousins, you know, it was this very kind of just joyous, like, Oh my God, this kid's actually good. And oh my God, he is the amazing musician that I thought he was. And like, we just kind of kept meeting each other kind of in the middle of like this amazing cyclone of creativity that we had on that very first time we played together. And we were, I think, improving through the first thing we did was just jam. And I don't, I didn't really ever, never jammed with anybody before, like in earnest, you know? So like okay. we were kind of just doing it from, from day one. And like, I think, yeah, if you remember this, the first practice we ever had, we had someone like watching us and looking through the window of the studio, like there's only two guys in there. Like, you know, so, cause I think from the beginning, you know, we didn't really have the mentality of like, oh, we're going to be an improv crazy, you know, effects, uh, experimental driven uh, two piece that we're going to then ex expand into doing crazy trio records and stuff. Like we had maybe we were like, yeah, maybe we'll get a bassist or I don't know, you know, like we, we, briefly had that thought maybe for like the first hour of the first practice and then pretty much you know like after that it was like okay you do what you do and i do what i do or vice versa like we'll be able to sustain this and and it just kept evolving from there and uh you know i think doing improv with two two dudes is a little bit of maybe a little cheating because you can kind of have like a little bit of a conversation like i can take the lead and pass it to ev and back and yeah. forth so but it really laid a good foundation for us to to have other people sitting with us like Thor and like Matt Dario on previous records and stuff. And it's been this really cool, like we kind of cre create a good foundation for us to build with other people. And, uh, you know, so fortunate that we were able to make this new record with Thor. I mean, I'll, I'll get, I'll stop talking now, but <laughs> I, I definitely want to talk about how much fun it was and uh, the whole experience playing the album, especially because it's so exciting to see Thor on my phone again. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's pretty much well, it. You made, you, you made two interesting points that I, I, I really liked. The, the one that you guys were open to doing whatever with each other, and I think that helps with improv 
in no matter what you're doing, whether it's music or, or acting, comedy, and being open to any idea is vital. I, I know when I when I was doing improv comedy, the whole point is there's two words you have to always use, and it's yes and. And I think that's the same with music. You know, you have to be open. You, you can't shut somebody down because then it just it it's dead. And I think the the other thing, the other point you made was that with two people, you're much more open to having another outside person come in and make something completely unique. Because with two people, there's nowhere for you to hide. I don't care. I know, Ev, you use some amazing effects, but you can't, with just you and Paul, and such, there's no hiding. Having a third person come in can help direct things to a, a really unusual space. And I think that's what happened with Mjolnir. It's, I think I remember reading that this was recorded around the same time as your your last two albums, in the same, pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah, we, this was the day we recorded this was in June of 2019. Okay. So okay. this we cut this in a day, a day. of 2019. You cut it in a day. I, I mean, we'll tell you the magical story of the day. And there was a lot of aftercare from Dr. Producer Magic Maven Martin BC with us in the editing process. And there was some juices thrown on and about by BC, etc. But it was done in a day back in the summer of 2019, all the big tracks. That's yeah. amazing. We also, another sweet little detail, we had never met in the flesh before that day that we cut all that. Uh, it was a love affair that was seeded by Howard Wolfing and watered in the garden of Twitter and the internets and um, pushed along by the... Uh, the, the nonstop drive of Paul and I try to take the next step uh, and do one that makes sense. And it was this happy synergy where Thor and us uh, had started this bit of a relationship and talked about a project. We had already been making records with Martin BC, the magical Martin at BC Studio, yeah. uh, since 20... We met him in 2012. I told the story before on the on the podcast, so I won't reiterate but when Hurricane Sandy destroyed a lot of Brooklyn, it destroyed our practice space, which was a few blocks from his recording studio. He was out checking out the damage of the area that day as we recovered our gear. I noticed him. I called him over like some friend of his. He realized that we were strangers. But I assured him we were safe strangers. And we bonded over the broken gear and the tragedy uh, that it enshrouded Brooklyn in October of 2012 at Hurricane Sandy. And we were suddenly we were in the world. Next thing you know, we're playing shows together. We went to Europe together. We recorded at a place. We became good friends and we're grateful to be in that orbit. So that being said, Thor also friendly to BC, friend of that place itself. Here we are. Thor is going to be coming to New York or another project to work with some other great musicians, but he has a free afternoon. BC makes that afternoon free for uh, for himself and for the studio and says, come on in, I'll put the microphones up. Wow. Essentially, in the weeks leading up, Paul and I at practice kicked around the idea of we had a, we had a bunch of prepared material that we really liked. Uh, that we felt was strong, good, good stuff. And we were thinking, with the one thought was maybe we'll go in with this prepared stuff and, you know, Thor will adapt because, you know, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but it felt 
like that. You know, we, we, we quickly got off that. <laughs> you know, like, it just like, it felt like, why are we trying to put an automatic ceiling on the roof of this thing? You know, like, you know, temp, you know we're going to control it. Like, you know, but, you know, like, that's crazy. Let, let's let it fly. And I think Paul yeah. was really pushing in the direction of like, Ev, you know, we trust our instincts. We trust what we can do. We, you know, let's go in there and just go for it. So it was that magical kind of like uh, go for it attitude that we had and that Thor had. But ultimately, that day was the first time that we met. Uh, and it was it was a pretty magical thing. We were setting up. We were down. Um, BC has been in the Gowanus area of Brooklyn at BC Studio for uh, about 40 years now. Wow. Uh, I believe in 79 Brian Eno was looking for a large warehouse-type space to record ambient music in. Mm -hmm. Some young upstarts were Bill Laswell, Martin B.C., Michael Beinhorn, and a couple other people. They got involved as uh, the people to kind of steward this space uh, in Gowanus that Eno had acquired. Then Eno got out of the picture within a year or two, and eventually the others got out of the picture, and it became B.C. space. So B.C.'s been there forever. Everybody's worked with him, and uh, we're really, really fortunate that he he's there and he's as generous as he is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I mean, the amount of work that <clears throat> put into this album as well uh, is, you know, I, I always have to pay tribute to him whenever we talk about this stuff. But the point I wanted to say was BC's been there. It's uh, the old American. And factory. It's been built in 1885. His studio is behind a couple of different points of entry. You have to you have to get through a first glass door. You would need a key, a second one to be buzzed in, a third one, etc. Now, if you've been there before, sure, you'll know your way, but it doesn't mean you'll have access or passage. So Paul and I get there a little bit before Thor gets there, and we're downstairs with BC in the control in the in the tracking area. Humongous huge space it was a horse stable i think 100 years ago it's oh, just wow really cool shape really large we're setting up wondering when thor is going to get here you know i you know hope thor is as nice as he seems you know he seems cool <laughs> everyone loves thor you know like hope he shows up I, 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 as a fan i've stood and watched this man like you know it's like just like right before we became friendly with Thor, I was at a Swan show where Thor was talking to BC five feet away from me. And out of respect to the fact that I did not know Thor Harris in person, even though BC is my compadre, I stayed the fuck away from them. <laughs> you know, like, so, I mean, so wondering what this man's going to be like and when they were setting up and like, you can't really gain access unless someone buzzes you in and suddenly comes walking down the steps to the studio like he had a key to the front door somehow because the universe just opens the door when <laughs> Thor's down. It's, it's, a, it's a basement that you record in. And I'm telling you, it was like sunshine was on this guy's shoulders. He came walking in in a tank top like he's wearing now with both arms swinging, ready to hand out hugs and with no instruments. Oh, the, wow. Arms swinging is the joke that Paul and I usually use <laughs> when we tell yeah. this hearing story. He came in arms swinging like, I'm ready. We were like, okay, we want you to play on this. Let's yeah. figure out what instruments there are, Mr. Thor. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business. And I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It became this really, you talk about improv. So yeah. We're improving already, mama. Yes. We're jiving already, mama. So it's like Paul starts breaking down part of his drum kit. He's got a piccolo snare. I gave him as a birthday gift five years ago. I don't know how to buy drum gear. He didn't really ever like it. It was perfect. Perfect for Thor. Nice. Some other stuff. BC's pulling things out of a closet that hasn't been opened since 1986. And this closet literally molded shut. BC's <laughs> getting it open, pulling out synthesizers that I couldn't believe still worked. Yeah. Oh. It's in the bio, it sounds really great. Like he used BC's synthesizer collection. If you were there and you saw the collection, he used the one thing that worked from the pile of stuff <laughs> corner. Uh, but the point is, Thor cobbled together a part cocktail kit, part percussion station, part synthesizer area, and Martin mic'd him up. And within minutes, it was like, okay, we're going to get something we've never gotten before because, uh, you know, this is already, I mean, the instrumentation we're going to be interacting with, the space that we're going to be making in this for Thor, there's different space we have to make. Yeah. Double drums, you know, how is this going to function? So that's a little bit of the, you know, kind of behind the scenes on how we we rolled into the session. That is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do like that. Like going, I just did a solo show in Berlin where I didn't know the instruments at all. Like, because I, well, I didn't actually know I was, I was going there to make a record and then uh, somebody asked me to do a solo show and I thought, well... Sure, I don't have any instruments. What that's, have you got? That's the ultimate improv show. You don't even know it what instruments you're going to be playing. Like, like, oh, I you have a violin? I don't play that. Well, I, <laughs> but let's tr- let's see what we can work out. Oh yeah. my god, <laughs> that is incredible. Did you have any? I and this is for Thor. Did you have any idea of what you're going to be? doing when you got to the studio i mean did you have any any thoughts of of instruments no. you play or, or, or maybe musical ideas ahead no, of time 
No, I didn't know at all, but I, I had been to the studio a lot before and studios generally have like a lot of sort of neglected instruments <laughs> sitting around, which can be really, you know, a cornucopia of awesome, weird sounds. Yeah. So I knew something would work out. I, you know, I'd, I always hope there's going to be like a vibraphone there or something. But, you know, what? as long as there's something laid out, like, a you know, percussion instruments, really bad ones can be really useful sometimes. Like really bad drums can sound, if you mess with them a little bit, you can get them to sound really interesting. And, and wow. you know, we, we all, everybody loves broken cymbals. There's studios are full of broken cymbals. So I knew there would be stuff for me to play with. There was a giant bass drum who, I don't know who it belonged to, but I was like, Martin, can I play the giant bass drum? But no, the, the owner of it was real uptight about <laughs> oh. it. So. We didn't get to put the giant bass drum Damn. on the on the cinema cinema record, but it's Was probably that, still down there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same same dust on it. Right. A little we extra did a, now. We, we did a photo shoot there in May. It's still there. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna say the name of the owner because they're also you know, they're a cool musician, although they weren't, you know, they weren't gonna let us use that drum. But you know, I mean then nonetheless it's there. Can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> so the album was recorded a few years ago and it was just released this July. Mm -hmm. And Martin BC, like you said, put some amazing effort into this thing. Were there any surprises for, for, and we'll go with each of you unless the answer is the same. Were there any surprises when you heard it back for the first time when, when he's like, when he started sending things back to you, anything that you were like, I didn't remember that, or that sounds completely different than I remembered it. All of it was a complete surprise to me at oh, wow. every stage and a very pleasant <laughs> surprise because monitoring is very imperfect. Okay. And, and, you know, whether, whether you're talking about a live improv show, like we, oftentimes when I do improv music, I reserve judgment <laughs> until later I can go to Instagram and look at the videos and, and go, oh, wow, that does sound pretty good. You know, because where, from where I was, there was no way I, I could know what that was. I remember moments like, war on you i remember that i remember that that line and that, i thought i thought that was great you know better than i remembered it all right so uh paul what about you is there any any surprises there for you i would say too it's funny that thor brought up war on you because that whole song pretty much was created because of that role he was doing on the on the hi-hat that then i was like at the end of towards the end of a jam that we were doing it was like we did like three 30 minute pieces that we just played our balls off as much as possible and hoped it was good. We'd go and listen to it. So by the end of the first like 30 minutes that we did, the first time we ever played together, we, you know, we're just exhausted. And then Thor just gets the bright idea to just do like a 16th notes on the hi-hat and it's just, we're off. Okay. I guess we got to now 
go on that journey. <laughs> and like, so we just did. And I mean, you, I could really hear. And, and when I listened back to that song, I'm like, I'm kind of, but it actually adds to the track, you know, cause like, I'm like getting back into it and like coming off of something. And then Thor just goes off on that roll. And then just the way that me and Thor locked in on that and the way Martin like mixed that and, and, and kept that, that kind of 16th notes on the hi-hat going throughout, like it really uh, propels that whole track and it like really created a, one of the standout pieces on the whole album. And I think a lot of, a lot of the, um, the mixing that Martin did with the two drums is very impressive to me. Cause there's times where I, I truly don't know, like, is that me? <laughs> is that, is that Thor? Like what did Thor have again? Did he even have a Tom's? Like, I guess he did like, uh, specifically <laughs> on, um, uh, walk into the ocean. Uh, there's a part where it's like, he's doing, and I'm pretty sure I would like to take credit for that as my part, but that was Thor. Thor, Thor is going on that. And I'm kind of like on the symbols and together it creates this really cool thing that we couldn't have, you, you just couldn't have done with one drummer. when Martin would mix it and kind of, cause he mixed a lot of this when we were in the pandemic and we did it remotely. So we would get it back and I would just be like, wow, I, you know, we, we had raw mixes from before and then he would mix it and send it to us and be like, wow, he really cherry picked and found something, you know, and he, you know, he placed things perfectly. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of credit goes to Martin for the way that record sounds in general. We love you, Martin. If you hear this podcast, we'll tag him in it. Hopefully he'll, he'll give it a listen. So Ev, what about you? Were there any surprises for you? Uh, yeah. T- uh, total love to Martin. I echo that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, there were a lot of surprises. I- I'll tell you, the way it worked out, we did that magical session that day. Uh, and it was, as Paul said, we did like three 30-minute jams that were each one ended in a big hug <laughs> and then went and listened back. And I think that we all knew that we were getting something. Paul and I then spent the summer listening to those three 30-minute jams. Of course, at first, so drunk on our own juices, believing that we recorded a 90-minute opus. Every <laughs> must see the light of day. That was the first, that was the first thought. Oh, yeah. uh, and, but we spent more time. Then we took a night's sleep, you know, and then we spent some more time. And we started to find where the, uh, the indent and the new paragraph began in each jam and uh we were hearing what parts were songs and what weren't and then martin helped us edit them into pieces some of them that was when some of the surprising parts were at first but uh you know like um some of them were almost fully formed uh some of them i went back and added some vocals to later on but ultimately we went through that process through the fall of 2019. And by the beginning of 2020, I went and lit a couple more vocals and we were just about to start mixing in March of 2020 with Martin when the pandemic stopped a lot of things. Yeah. One of the main reasons why we haven't, haven't been down to DC yet, or one of the contributing factors to the album coming out a little bit later on, which turned into a bit of a strategy we had to play because it was ready a few years ago when we released TXMD2 in 2021, this album was already mastered, but 
we were in a posture as a band that we were still being very, very, very seriously cautious. And we felt we didn't know if we'd even be able to play any shows or do a press campaign that felt comfortable for us to go and talk about ourselves and our music while people are dying and and living and and the world is divided it just didn't feel right and thus us putting out a second jazz album in a row <laughs> really we, we wanted to really continue to have our audience down so by the time thor thor could get them all back for us but the point <laughs> is, when uh when it came time to mix we couldn't go to see martin so he did it remotely the uh, the beautiful beat that he is and he sent us back mixes back and forth and we listened and I think the one that jumped out to me that really shocked me was My Vision of the Future. Oh, okay. because it's rare that you get such a fully formed piece that just kind of like comes rising out of uh out of the the, the smoke of of the the end of a a jam and just becomes a piece that's fully formed i mean the thing for me that was weird enough to hear it when i heard it back was like the whole vocal was was done in the room improvised entirely no no lyric sheet no idea about the vocal before not like no lyric sheet like i worked on this i got it down i don't even need to look at the words like literally i had never said my vision of the future ever in my life that term or that phrase but we had kind of like stumbled into this humming buzzing glow of the end of another jam and okay. Thor was toying around with synth sounds that was making me want to move my guitar out of the way so the synth could have more of a space for a voice. So I, I caught on to this frozen loop where my guitar is just holding on to this one chord throughout the whole song, which is very rare for cinema cinema. Usually my guitar is a little hyperactive and schizophrenic. And Paul gets a chance to utilize some of those jazz chops because there's a lot of snare craziness at the, at the front of it. Yeah. And at the back end too, he starts putting the whole ass on it. There's a beat, there's a real feeling, there's a movement. And all the while Thor is exploring like, uh, like fingers over a Ouija board or like, you know, just walking through like, you know, uncharted territory. And, and I'm doing this rap or this talk or whatever the whole time that I just did in the room. Uh, and incredible. what Martin, the way Martin mixed it, he took a couple of like words, like you, 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 like I said, you once, but he grabbed that and he like quadrupled it and then doubled down four times in one section. And Paul and I call it their BC droppings <laughs> with Martin. He's the wizard and you're following through following him through his forest. Yeah. You see signs of BC by the droppings. And we, then you know where he went. So the, the he sweetens the, the vocal mix on that up and it really blew my mind listening to it back, like wow. Thor, Paul and I hadn't known each other for more than a few hours. And this is one of the most proud I could, um, this is one of the pieces of music I'm part of that I'm most proud of yet. Um, holy cow, like we did something, you know, and, and yeah. it was, it was, it was really cool. 
to learn to sit with something that you feel you have this faith in this material and, and, and wait until it was an appropriate time to release. You know I mean? Yeah. Because I know I'm hyper crazy and I want everyone to know right now what we, you know, what we're doing. I mean, Paul and I have another album recorded. We're writing another one, all this stuff. But the point is it's like, Everything has its time and, and now feels like really the right time. It's the 15th year anniversary of me and Paul being at the end. It's a somewhat healthier time for the world and the environment, although it's still the worst time it's ever been and we're all going to hell. But I mean, we're out of the recent dark ages of the new 2020s with COVID uh, and we're in this new kind of dealing with uh, the diminished world that we're in now ages. But um, really glad to have it see the light of day now. And to be here talking about it. And yeah, my vision of the future freaked me out. Pretty cool. Well, you answered two other questions I had. Lyrically, was everything improvised? So at least some of it seemed to be lyrically improvised. And there seemed to be, to me, a connection between, let's see, it was um, my vision of the future and uh, voiceless Idaho, lyrically. And I, was that something that you guys were doing or, or was that a BC dropping? No, that that was uh, that was part of the improv. Okay, I think my vision of the future um, was maybe uh, was the jam session before Voiceless Idaho. Okay, but uh, so if we, there was three jam sessions, I'd say my vision of the future was birthed from the middle jam session. I know the Voiceless Idaho was the last one because I detuned my guitar. I changed the tuning of my guitar to drop D. And if there's a couple of songs on the album that are in that tuning then I know it came from that last jam and voiceless Idaho is one of them. And I think that I just, I, I, again, I was riffing in the room when I started that song off saying my vision of the past. I felt like I wanted to comment on what I had just said. I didn't know that it was going to become anything in a song, but I, I knew that whatever I, whatever freak out I went into on what previously was strong enough that maybe I was trying to recreate it at first, or I didn't know how to start that <laughs> one lyrically. That might be one of those improv things where it's like, maybe I was relying on something to get me going, but nonetheless, it got me going. And it was yes and. I'll tell you, of the eight songs, five, about five of the songs are, are entirely lyrically improv while we did it all. Wow. Martin, Martin was saying after the fact, like, Ev, all these vocals are on the scratch vocal mic. Like, it's his worst vocal mic. He has these, like, <laughs> Neumann or Neiman. He has these special German mics that are, like, so expensive so cool and great that he uses usually when I cut vocals and all this stuff actually makes me sound like a monster. But like these vocals were all on this tiny, like SM, like 57, yeah. an SM 58, like a directional, like a directional speaker cab mic that I was just like eating. <laughs> and like, Ev, these vocals are, I understand they are good. I understand you want to keep them. Uh, you know, I got to do work on this. You know, he really dug in, to harvest to harvest what he could 
but yeah, I'd say five of the eight songs are entirely lyrically improvised. I went back in and I put some vocals on three of the songs that didn't have um, lyrics right before the pandemic stopped everything. The thing that blows me away is that there's songs that sound like cinema, cinema for sure. War on you, walk through the ocean. To me, they they sound like cinema, cinema. There are songs that, and it makes me wonder it, if they would sound this, if they would sound different if you had somebody else besides Thor in there, or if it was just the two of you. Because my, I think my favorite song on the album is probably one of the biggest departures for you guys in Info Ghetto. song on the album i absolutely love that song and i don't think it would have been the same without thor no that's info ghetto was the first part of the first jam oh wow yeah it came within the first like 10 minutes of playing and the uh, the info ghetto itself is the internet that's what that title is referring to that makes sense well, i mean because it's just such a healthy place for information but it's not a healthy place to dwell so it's kind of like you know Man, i'm gonna call um, it that i'm gonna call the internet that from now on the oh, ghetto. Yeah, me too let's let's remember this is where that term was coined right here Ed Gold. the info ghetto <laughs> that, that's what it is and that's i mean the refrain in that is just i need i need I need, it kind of says that the lyrics say, you know, like, um, you're not going to get the whole story. You have to beat it out of me. Some things you got to carry, you know, I'm going to take this with me. And then I need, I need. So the first, you know, it's kind of like saying like, it's like, yeah, I I like, you know, I have to live my life. Some things are my own, (laughs) you know, I I have to get away from this nonstop, uh, you know, like culture that, you know, kind of sucks everything out and wants more and it isn't enough. Uh, but then I turned into the manic uh, person who still needs, we all need, I need, I need, I need, I need. So that was one of the songs that didn't have vocals. Just the words don't go. Oh. I think I'd have said don't go, um, which might have stayed in the song. But um, other than that, that was one where I, I actually thought about those lyrics a little bit and laid down those vocals after the fact and wondered if anyone would connect that the info getter was the internet. I knew they wouldn't. So I'm glad that we can have it coined here now and make it official moving forward. I also love Zero Sum. This, particularly the middle section, like around the four and a half minute mark. Before the like Ev's descent into hell kind of section, because that's uh, about eight, eight and a half minutes long. That that one, that's a great song. Thank you. That's a, that's a big whale. Yeah, and that was one of the first things we recorded too, right? Wasn't that from the first the first thirty minute jam? 
session? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I remember hearing like what Thor was doing on the synth for the. He had kind of. A, I guess it was. I wouldn't. I don't really know exactly. It was like a vibraphone or something like doo, 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 like whatever's at the beginning of the synth sound on that on the beginning of Voiceless Idaho at the end of the record. Um, I just remember that that really standing out to me too because that we never had that kind of sound at all on uh, on one of our records. And I think just hearing different sounds and like getting that vibe through from diff- different like style, like it really helps you kind of go in a different direction, right? Like and just think about things and it. You know, who knows? It, I, I don't think we were ever really going to a different certain direction with any of these pieces or any of these jams. But subconsciously, when you're hearing certain things, it's like it's it's opening up a doorway that maybe you didn't you didn't expect. And like you're not really imagining, but and you don't have time to think about it. So you're just totally in the moment. And your hands are just starting to do things and, and try to, you know, lasso the you know, the, the idea, whatever it is. And then you don't even really realize what it is until it's until until it's over. But. You know, I think that that's, that was the main thing, I think, you know, because you said that, you know, a lot of the stuff does sound like cinema stuff. But I think with Thor, um, he was a lot of ways, the like, the, almost like the leader of the session. Because, like, we were just listening to what he was doing and letting him kind of subconsciously guide us in certain directions. You know, we passed the ball a few times, yeah. you know, like, as you do in any improv. But really listening to Thor and just being so happy to... Like, okay, all the planning, all the talking, all the Twittering and on the info getter and all that stuff, like actually getting to the moment of when we're in the studio and we're going to do it, you know, I think maybe I, maybe I thought of it just, but I won't speak for Ev, but, um, you know, I don't know what Thor was thinking either. I think Thor was obviously, I don't, I wouldn't say that you're ever thinking, oh, I need to lead these guys to the promised land or anything, <laughs> but, you know, to me, I was just like, I got to really listen and pay attention to what this man is doing. Cause I've, I've never played with him before, first of all, and I have to play with another drummer now, which I had never done. So for me, it was like, I treated it almost like Thor was kind of like the conductor and whatever vibe that, and that's how we got, you know, great songs like War On You, right? It's just like yeah. going with whatever flow Thor decided on in that, in that moment. Not that he was forcing anything on us. I'm just saying like, right. it just, um, well, it yeah, was I don't a, know how you guys feel. It right was a completely that. outside influence on two guys that have been playing together for 15 years. So that's, to me, it sounds like, Mjolnir is like the two previous albums that you guys did, the jazz albums, but more distilled and refined. I thought I heard some winds in there. Is, is there any, I mean, there's, there's no Matt Dario in this, right? What is that? There's a flute sound in one of the songs. That's me. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I have like a little tin whistle, Irish tin whistle. I'm, I'm half Irish. So I identify a lot with my, Irish side and I've had this little penny whistle, tin whistle thing um, that actually in previous times we've recorded with Dario, he, maybe he might've used it or something. Like I just gave it to him and he used it and he's just amazing at it instantly. But um, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, just a way to kind of like get some ethereal kind of sounds. And uh, it's just something that I've always kind of have in my stick bag um, ready to go. And uh, just yeah. such an emergency yep. tin whistle emergency. Yeah, and there's certain moments on the on the you know the jams that kind of called for it, and I was like, maybe you know, maybe we could just edit this out. You just want to break into a jig somehow. You you're set. <laughs> you are ready. I I try to keep it off the the folky stuff and keep it more to the ethereal two notes kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fun and it worked on a lot of that stuff too. Um, and I was happy that you know we didn't cut a lot of it. There is like. Certain moments. That's another thing Martin kind of brought to the table too, right? He would find 
like tin whistle part and then boost that in the mix that i didn't even know that because again i was i wasn't like setting up a tin whistle mic <laughs> i stood up and played the, the, the pin whistle at the boom mics that were hanging over the the set you know wow. or played it into the snare mic or something so uh, yeah there's a lot of cool moments that uh, martin captured like that too i think i had a water bottle that i was playing on at one point oh, uh, gosh. i had a belt that i took off and i was slapping it against the drum seat at one point you might be able to point that out it's on i can't remember what song it's on but it's like just slapping you know just seeing what would pick you know so uh, it was a lot of fun very like free and creative experience the song that hits me right right, right behind info ghetto to me is riverhead i love that that organ and how the guitar just builds and builds and builds throughout it. that that's the kind of stuff that i love who took the lead on that song was that another thor you guys following thor or is that more just something that happened in the middle of a, of one of the 30 minute jams. That one's a real surprise to me. Oh. That one real surprise to me. That one was, it was in the midst of one of the jams, like everything else, of course, but it was really an example to me when I said earlier, I mentioned uh, improv songwriting and I was starting to make a, a bit of a juxtaposition um, or I was starting to posit it against our previous two albums that are entirely improv with Dario with that type of improv quote unquote writing. But on those two records, we specifically reduced a lot of the vocals to make room for the horns to be the vocals per se. So uh, it was a different composition or compositionality, if that's a term that we were looking at then. Whereas with what we worked on with Thor, these jams all had a, different rhythmic quality and different melodies that were ar arriving as we were making our way through different tempos we hadn't really touched on. Uh, and I'd say midway through one of the jams, suddenly we were, we found ourselves upon this like kind of clearing where like this mournful, tuneful, melodic thing started to occur. And what really surprises me about it is that um, that was one that didn't have any vocals. I put the vocals all on afterwards. Oh, so when cool. I put today, actually, it was intriguing me today because I thought, wow, before I put the vocals on this, when this was just the piece of music that Thor, Paul, and myself composed, what the hell was going on? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, we're <laughs> all following each other. Thor is staying in this one specific area where he's like kind of pushing this like uh this you know organy riff that keeps on it's like it's like the it's like the tilt of the ship like eh, like the ship keeps on tilting thor yeah. is paul is paul is keeping the whole thing together and i'm doing this like mournful baseline type of thing that's kind of doesn't have you know flash or pizzazz or special <laughs> sound effects it's just kind of this pretty motion that's occurring i, I know that it was one that uh, when i was listening to it today and then i listened and then when i was focusing on even even the words i thought that, that that part came out actually kind of uh really good as well uh, that was one where it's like i wasn't quite sure how to approach it and i didn't want to make it the singing show although it was a ballad to me, it's it, it sounded like what you might call a ballad, um, a more of I a dirt tune. And I didn't want it to turn into my Sinatra moment. Not that I don't love Frank Sinatra, because I very much do. But this was Legally, not... you have to. You're from New York. Hey, 
I'm half Italian. In <laughs> hello, hello. And the point is, I didn't want to turn it into. Uh, I didn't want to be a parody of myself or something that I was something else. I, I just it's something called me to kind of talk my way through it, and it was fitting. Uh, you know, in my opinion, <laughs> it's a surprise for me. That's one of the ones that I if, if I hadn't said before. My vision of the future. Another big surprise for me is, is Riverhead. I. I I really, I don't know how it is that we came across playing in that manner together. But I think like Paul said, looking back on it now, it wasn't out of like, um, it, it wasn't purposely like we felt we had to follow Thor, but we definitely identified that we have someone new in our space with us. Mm-hmm. What the hell is he doing? You know, like, <laughs> you know, it, cause it's really easy for Paul and I to bring someone in and just maul them and maul everyone and they can grab on and they can be dragged. And there's some of the stuff that we, that we've done with Dario where we just got going and, 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 you know, of course he, he made it magic, but then there's also some other stuff that isn't like that. But the point is with Thor, there was just a different engagement level. I don't know if it was because we had never met before that day. And then the initial meeting was so warm and so pleasant and just all the sudden things were rolling comfortability that we can trust each other right away. I think that a lot of the reason why the different sounds on the Cinema Cinema album, because BC pointed out to us, like, guys, you know, as Paul, after the fact, like, this is definitely a Cinema Cinema album. It's just a very different one. You know, Thor did something, you know, I don't know what he did, but, you know, this is not something that's totally you know, in a different, you know, zip code, but it's got a definitely a different vibe. And then the vibe was we, we made space for Thor to do what he does, but moreover, the way it all came about and the comfortability, it yielded an immediate trust where there wasn't any worry or concern. So we could be in the moment. We could not know what's happening next, but not worry about what's happening next because we're all here now. I found the greatest experiences that I have was a music fan when I'm at a concert is when a band forces me to be in the moment with them. I found very often that when I saw Swans, the iteration that Thor was in for a seven or eight year period, I saw them a number of times. They were one of the bands that were able to do that. They can grab you and pull you and have you there with them. There's no thought about day. There's no thought about tomorrow. There's no thought about the thing that went wrong at work. You literally are just in this zone. Uh, so, I mean, I, I like it what bands can do that to me as a fan. And, and I know that when Paul and I were in the studio that day, I definitely felt a very now connection to the now moment in the creativity that was going on there that I, I don't know that I've felt before. I think it was because Thor brings with him not just the talent. Uh, it's like a whole, it's a whole glowing persona of sorts. I, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to really describe. It's Mjolnir. It's the hammer of Thor. <laughs> the way he swings the hammer. He, he, swung, he swung us in a direction we never swang and we never was swanging before. <laughs> I say that much. <laughs> so Thor, Paul and Ev have both mentioned that they kind of felt not necessarily that you were taking the lead, but they were kind of following you at points. Did you feel that when you were in the studio at all, or did it feel more collaborative? Did you feel like you were guiding them at times, or was it something completely different for you? Well, in improv, no matter how many people there are, 
But in the world of improv, somebody always sort of like starts the conversation. And, and I've gotten, because I've done improvised music now for a long time, I've gotten comped and, and I, I listened to, to all of the cinema cinema that I could get my hands on before I went and met them. So I knew what, what a little bit what they were about. And we had had conversations on the, uh, info ghetto, info ghetto. Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't mind, I, I didn't mind being the, per, being the person to like, when, when, when I could tell one idea was sort of winding down to go, to go, Oh wait, I have this other idea. I bet these guys would do something cool with it. So then maybe I would just start this real, you know, sort of maybe like a real repetitive organ or synthesizer part and just see where, where, where these guys go with it. Oh, cool. But they'll do something super cool over this. Also playing, playing with another drummer is so fun. You know, when you're in your first 30 bands that you're in or whatever, <laughs> you, you play with a bass player and a guitar player and, you know, maybe another guitar player, a singer, a keyboard player or a horn player. But I don't, I don't know how old I was before I started playing in bands with multiple percussionists, but it's so fun. Really? You know, cause, cause you can sort of pass the drummer sort of thing back and forth. And yeah, it's an improv really is about sort of about trust. And, 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 you know, I knew these guys were cousins and I really just liked them and I felt, you know, honored to, to be there. And, um, like, That's yeah, awesome. Music isn't always a great way to make a living. <laughs> Do I need to even say that? But, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's like the, it's the best way I've ever known to build community, you know? Well, this album is so cool because it makes, it makes me wish I knew how to play an instrument better. It makes me want to go and improv some stuff, but. I just wanted to mention this before we start wrapping up. Voiceless Idaho, Ev, congratulations, because I think this is the very first time I've ever heard Walk the Plank as a song lyric. Pirate stuff. Pirate stuff. <laughs> I'm always very, a winner. I'm glad that I could scratch that itch, <laughs> uh, that plank itch for you and others. Um, Lord knows I've had Walk the Plank scribbled in a notebook for a long time. So uh, <laughs> Finally got a chance to use it. Oh, yeah. that make that's the highlight of the album now. So the album's been out for a little while. Things are opening back up. Is there a chance to see a cinema cinema Thor live show anytime in the future? Yes. Near, distant. We don't know when, but yes, that's likely to happen. I come to New York a lot. And so we'll, we'll make that happen at some point. Oh, awesome. Um, I love that city. It's my favorite city in America, needless to say. We'll we'll make that happen. Man, I got to find out about that. Give me some notice so I can save up and, and get over there. Okay. Give me some notice, too. I would like to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be there. You'll breaking be there, news, Breaking news to me. Sure. <laughs> We've already asked your boss to let you off work for that. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we had to do that on the day of uh, the recording. That was a work day. I don't know if anybody in my office will listen, but I think I called in sick that day. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Honestly, this is my favorite cinema cinema album to date. It really took you guys into wild new areas that I didn't know were possible. It was really a fun 
album to listen to. Fun, intense, but there's also softer moments. Info Ghetto being my favorite. So what is the best way for people to find the album, to hear it for themselves, to help support you guys so you can get this live show together? We can get Thor to New York and, and see this amazing show. Yes, we must get Thor to New York. We are getting him on the next train. <laughs> yeah. Train, automobile, or yeah. bicycle. Uh, maybe we skateboard. I'll tie two together, put them on my back. It's going to happen. Well, he's in uh, Texas. We can get him up some horses. Yeah, well, don't forget, we we also love Texas, and that's a state we've been to in and around as so many territories. It's not even funny. I could shotgun out 10 or 11 cities we've played there. Yeah, I was born in Texas. Up there, So who knows if we don't wind up there as well. But the point is where you can find the music everywhere, of course, uh, but uh, Bandcamp is a place that uh, a lot of you know, smaller sized bands that d- direct people. It's more of a community for us. It's not quite the mainstream uh, streaming world where a hundred percent of everyone's just streaming kids, streaming Drake. I mean, no one's really looking to interact with weirdo music. No one's listening to Casper Broach or Noy or, you know, us on, on Apple, but we are on Apple and Spotify and all those things. But the point is Bandcamp is a place where you can get the vinyl directly. Cinema, cinema dot Bandcamp. Dot com is a place where you can find us. Mjolnir is the the newest release. Again, it's, it's vinyl, uh, red vinyl. It's pretty cool. It's nice. limited uh, amount made. Uh, and then also it's streaming everywhere. Streaming everywhere on the Info Ghetto. Yeah. Info Ghetto. Yes. Info Ghetto exclusive Mjolnir live. Awesome. This has been... So much fun getting the three of you guys on. It's awesome to have Evan and Paul on. I haven't had the. This is the first time I've had you guys on at the same time. So this is awesome. Thor, yeah, it's so fun to hang out with y'all. Thor, it's yes. been it's just wonderful speaking with you. We're gonna have to do a, a deep dive on on you. Have you on and do your own show like I did with Evan Paul, and okay. uh, we'll work on getting that scheduled here in the future, hopefully. Okay. Thank you guys so much for spending an hour, an hour and 10 minutes with me. Thank you guys so much for creating this amazing piece of art. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mark. Oh, oh, before we do wrap up, what's the best way for people on the Info Ghetto to follow you guys, to stay in in contact with you guys, to find out where shows are going to be for Cinema Cinema, for Thor and Friends, and for the eventual show together so thor what's the best way for people to, to follow you and stay in, in contact with you okay we'll come back to thor because i think he froze so ev <laughs> evan paul what is the best way for people to follow cinema 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 cinema.com a cinema cinema band uh, at cinema cinema band is where you could find us on instagram or um facebook uh, and at cinema cinema is where we are on twitter and cinemacinemaband.com is our website, and that's a portal where you can kind of uh, pop through and find out everything about the band, all the tour dates. All right. And neither of you guys happens to know Thor's info, do you? Because I don't I, know. If- Thor is at Thor Harris on Instagram, as, as he posts about his shows there, from what I see. Perfect. Um, so I think that'd be a good place to find to find him. Yeah, I, th- I think he just dropped off. I don't know if that was intentional or accidental, but <laughs> we did get his socials on here. So as quickly as he came, he left. <laughs> Arms swinging. 
Honestly, it's exactly the way he should go. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much. This has been a blast talking with you, both of you again. And uh, when you do come to D.C. or if I can get up to New York, we'll, we'll definitely try to hook up. And, and if we can't see a show, maybe at least get a beer or something. Sounds great. Awesome. Gentlemen, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.